I encourage you to take your Bible and turn to Genesis chapter 19. Genesis chapter 19. While you're turning, there is one more. Uh, there's one correction that needs to be uh, pointed out in the bulletin. I, I just did not catch this. This is my fault. Uh, the, there is an appreciation banquet, and I hope you're looking forward to that. Appreciation banquet on March, I'm sorry, not March, but April, April the 28th. So just to make sure that you make note of that. It's April the 28th, not March the 28th. Genesis chapter 19. I want to read the entire, well, down to verse 29 so that we can get the, the whole story here. We won't tackle all of this, but we want to get the whole story here. Genesis chapter 19 and verse 1. Then the two angels came to Sodom in the evening as Lot was sitting at the gate of Sodom. Lot saw them and arose to meet them and bowed down with his face to the ground. And they said, and he said, now behold, my lords, please turn aside into your servant's house and spend the night and wash your feet. Then you will rise early and go on your way. And they said, however, no, but we will spend the night in the square. Yet the yet he pressed them strongly. So they turned aside to him and entered his house and he made a feast for them and broke And baked unleavened bread, and they ate. Before they laid down, the men of the city, the men of Sodom, surrounded the house from young to old. All the people were, all the people from every quarter. And they called the, they called to Lot and said to him, Where are the men who came to you tonight? Bring them out to us that we may know them. But Lot went out to them at the doorway and shut the door behind him and said, Please, my brother, do not act wickedly. Now behold, I have two daughters who have not known a man. Please let me bring them out to you and do to them what is good in your eyes. Only do not only do nothing to these men, inasmuch as they have come under the shelter of my roof. But they said Step aside. Furthermore, they said, this one came to sojourn and already is persistently acting like a a judge. Now we will treat you more wickedly than them. So they pressed hard against Lot and stepped up to break the door. But the men reached out their hand and brought Lot into the house with them and shut the door. And they struck the men who were at the doorway of the house with blindness from small to great so that they were wearying themselves trying to find the doorway. Then the two men said, Whom else have you here? The son-in-law and your sons and your daughters and anyone, anyone anyone you have in the city, bring them out of this place. For we are about to destroy this place because of the outcry, because it has become great before Yahweh. So Yahweh has sent us to destroy it. And Lot went out and spoke to his sons-in-law, who were to marry his daughters, and said, Come up, get out of this place, 
For Yahweh will destroy the city. But he appeared to his sons-in-laws as jesting. Now, at the breaking of day, the angel urged Lot, saying, Get up, take your wife and your two daughters who are here, lest you be swept away with the punishment of the city. But he hesitated. So the men seized his hand and the hands of his wife and the hands of his two daughters, for the compassion of Yahweh was upon him, and they brought him out of the place, put him outside the city. Now it happened, as they brought them outside, one said, Escape for your life. Do not look back, do not look behind you, and do not stay anywhere in the valley. Escape to the mountains, lest you be swept away. But Lot said to them, Oh, no, my Lord. Now, behold, your servant has found favor in your sight, and you have magnified loving kindness, which you have shown to shown me by preserving my life. But I cannot escape to the mountains, lest calamity overtake me and I die. Now, behold, this town is near enough to flee to, and it is small. Please let me escape there. It is, is it not small? That my life may be preserved. And he said to him. Behold I grant you this request also. That I will not overthrow the city. Of which you have spoken. Hurry escape there. For I cannot do anything. Until you arrive there. Therefore the name of the city. Was called Zor. And the sun had risen over the earth. When Lot came to Zor. And Yahweh Rained on Sodom and Gomorrah, brimstone and fire from Yahweh out of heaven. And he overthrew the city and all of the valley and all of the inhabitants of the city and and what grew on the ground. Then his wife behind him looked back and she became a pillar of salt. And Abraham arose early in the morning and went to the place where he had stood before Yahweh. And he looked down toward Sodom and Gomorrah and toward all of the land of the valley. And he saw and behold, the smoke of the land went up like the smoke of a furnace. Thus it happened when God destroyed the cities of the valley that God remembered Abraham and sent Lot out of the midst of the overthrow when he overthrew the city in which Lot lived. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Father, we thank you for this precious word that we open today. I pray that you would bless this word as it goes forth. I pray for clarity. I pray that we would apply these things to our own heart as they are appropriately needed to be applied. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Now, this passage is kind of an alert. An alert's Alert system, alarm systems are good things. We have them in this building, uh, smoke alarms. We have alarms for our car, motion detectors, uh, and they protect our property and they protect our lives. And alarms are good things. And we were reminded of this not too long ago, a couple years ago, Ruthie and I were traveling north from um, Georgia into Chattanooga. And you're coming down the hill from Georgia And uh, the traffic was moving pretty quickly. 
and it was coming down out of the mountain, so so the flow of traffic was was pretty pretty great, and there was there was a lot of traffic, and uh, we were listening to a book on on tape or, or something like that, and we were kind of in a a stupor, just kind of not really paying attention very much, and all of a sudden. The alarm came on in the in the car. It was one of those cruise control alarms. I had the cruise control on, and I, I look up and ahead of us that uh, I just wasn't paying that far, uh, looking that far ahead. But the car detected it that there was a car stopped in the road and is turning uh, into the median, and uh, it got my attention. Of course, there's a, a jolt, uh, just wide awake now because of this alarm. And I see what was happening. I was able to swerve out of the way. There was a truck right beside me, and he saw it was what was happening. He was able to swerve, and we were able to avoid a, a catastrophe right there. And it was really because of that alarm. And so I'm very thankful for alarms. We have alarms in this church. This morning I came in. The alarm was set. I forgot to to, to undo the alarm and it, it goes off and it, and it jolts you. It, it puts you into a, a wide awake uh, uh, moment or, or status, if you will. So I appreciate, I appreciate alarms and they are good things and we should heed alarms. They're, they keep us safe from imminent danger. That's the purpose of alarms. They wake you up. Sometimes out of a stupor, sometimes out of just complacency, but that's the purpose of an alarm. And in this passage, we see is an alarm. It's the it's the description of the destruction of Sodom and Gomorrah, Gomorrah, and uh, the rescue of of Lot. Although Lot loses everything, he, he's saved from this uh, from this catastrophe. His wife is. Uh, uh, killed as well, but he is saved in his and his two daughters. Now, this is a warning light throughout Scripture. That's the way this passage is used throughout Scripture. Uh, Moses used it. Jeremiah, uh, Ezekiel, Amos, Paul, Peter, even Christ used Sodom and Gomorrah as a as an alarm. Just remember, Christ said, "Remember Sodom. Remember Lot's wife." He said, again, as, as an alert, be aware of this. Now, this is this passage is a picture of God's grace rescuing Lot, but it's also a, a picture of man's sinfulness and the destructive nature of sin and how much God hates sin and God's wrath. That God will not tolerate sin. So we see this as as is kind of like a jolt of coffee or, or an energy drink, we might say. It just jolts us back out of our complacency as an alarm. Now, I want us to be aware of um, the sinfulness of man, because you're not going to understand this passage unless you understand how sinful man is. And so I want to I want to move through a, a theology, if I if you will, or the doctrine of sin. The doctrine of sin. It's called harmatiology. Big theological term. Uh, I remember it by harm. And sin is harmful. So it's harmatiology. Sin is not just 
a sickness. It is, it is a, a death. It is impactful. It's not just impacting Adam. Now, I, I went to, uh, when I was working at, at Sears in California, there was a, a gentleman there, and he said, oh, God would not have uh, punished the rest of man because of Adam's sin, and, and, Adam, and man is not affected by Adam's sin. But that's not at all what we find in Scripture. The impact of sin was not just for Adam. It was extensive to every person. Every person. Um, you could see the, the, the Scripture verses. 1 Kings chapter 8, verse 20, uh, 46 says, no man who do, There is no man who does not sin. First, uh, Psalm 143, verse 2. No one living is righteous. One that I want to draw to your attention and I want to read in the passage is Proverbs chapter 20 and verse 9 says, Who can say, I have kept my heart pure? (laughs) No one. I am clean from my sin. No one can say that. Ecclesiastes chapter 7 verse 20 says, There's not a righteous man on earth. Isaiah chapter 53, a well-known passage says that we are like sheep. We have all gone astray. Everyone has turned his own way. The passage that is probably most familiar to us is in Romans chapter 3 verse 10. When Paul just lays it out very clearly here, there is none righteous, not even one. There is none who understands, none who seeks for God. All have turned aside. Together they have become worthless. And none who, there is none who does good. There is not even one. Their throats are open tombs. The tongues, the, with their tongues, they keep deceiving. The poison of asps on their lips, whose mouth is full of cursing Cursing and bitterness, their feet are swift to shed blood. Destruction and misery upon their their path, the path of peace they have not known. There is no fear of God before their eyes. Now that's a that's a description of of uh, the the sinfulness of man. It has affected every person, but it also affects every part of the person. It affects every part of life, our intellect, emotion, will. It affects our hearts, the things that we desire, the things that we love, our value system. Jeremiah 17, 9 says the heart is deceitful above all, desperately sick. Who can, who can understand it? Who can know it? It affects our mind. Genesis chapter 6, verse 5 um, talks about our thinking being affected, every intent of man's uh, heart was evil continuously. Every every thought is affected. Uh, the passage was read for us earlier in the futility of our mind. And then Romans chapter 1. There's many passages that, that say that every man is affected by sin. Every All of mankind and every part of man is affected by sin as well. That That needs to be... That needs to be sunk into our thinking. We need to be aware that we're not just sin people who sin occasionally, but we are sinful people. Sinful people. Now, let me give you a quick definition of sin. 
There's three elements to sin. One is captured in the, the word sin itself, and that means just miss the mark. You miss the mark. It's like you miss the, the bullseye there. But it's missing the glory of God. We fall short of the glory of God. Then you have the word iniquity. And that means being crooked or perverted or twisted or bent in some way. And that means uh, that essentially it's just perversion of God's righteousness. The perversion. And then you have transgression. Another idea, another element of sin And that's the breaking of God's law. And essentially, that's just rebellion against God. God, I refuse to do what you want me to do. I'm going to do what I want to do. It's described, sin is described in Scripture as as wickedness, evil, unrighteousness, ungodliness, deception, disobedience. And we're, we're called to be or what we're, we're told that we have a sin nature that we see in Scripture. David said we are conceived in sin. Paul said we are dead in our trespasses in sin. It affects every part of us. It affects our whole self. It also affects other people because it breaks relationships and it has broken our relationship with God. So it affects us. It affects others around us and it affects God himself. So much so that God had to kill his own son to redeem man. We see those scripture passages there. Now, there's one other element of sin that we we may not be aware of, that we may just kind of forget. And that is that sin, there's an enslaving element of sin. That that sin grabs us and hangs on to us and and forces us to obey, that, that we become slaves of sin, the Bible says. And the best passage to uh, that talks about this is in... Uh, Romans chapter 6 and verse 6, there's several, I could read the whole passage, but just for the sake of time, I just want to point out verse 6, not knowing this, that our old man was crucified with him in order that this body of sin may be done away with so that we are no longer slaves to sin. The implication being then is that we were slaves to sin, slaves to sin. You know, that, that's not a, a fun word in, in our uh, world today. Uh, and it's, it's not a, a pretty picture. Slavery is not a good picture at all. It, it, you, you have the picture of the, the taskmaster there with the, with the whip. And, and that's exactly what sin is. It makes us do its bidding. We were slaves to sin. And verse 12 goes on to say, Therefore, do not... Let sin reign in your mortal body so that you obey its lust. Now, as Christians, then, we have been freed from sin. We are not under the slavery of sin any longer, and we don't have to obey it. That's what Paul is saying. In fact, in verse 22, it says, And now, having been freed from sin and enslaved to God, you have your benefit leading to sanctification and the end is eternal life. We're now enslaved to God. No longer enslaved to sin, but enslaved to God. That's the plight of the believer. Because we have put our faith and trust in God, turning from our sins, turning to Christ in faith, we, the Lord gives us a new heart. A new nature, if you will. When we are freed from sin, no longer having 
to obey sin, we can obey God. But, now here's the danger. There's still an influence that sin can have over the believer, right? And that influence is tied to our flesh. That's what we see in Scripture. And so, chapter, you're in chapter, Romans chapter 6. Romans chapter 7, we see Paul's struggle with sin. And he says, you know, you're free from sin. But in chapter 7, he says, let me just tell you how I struggle with sin. The very things I don't want to do, I wind up doing. The things I don't want don't do, those are the things that I need to be doing. And there's a struggle over sin. We need to we need to be aware of that. Because there's an influence of sin, and sin still likes to grab hold. It's kind of like Velcro. It'll grab hold and, and just every little every little point it'll it'll stick. And Paul is saying you have to be careful. And the key is that the, the, our mental struggle, it's, it's mostly in our mind and, and the habits of our thinking tied to the flesh. So we need to renew our mind, constantly renewing our mind to think like God thinks, to think like we need to think. And he goes on to say in, in Galatians chapter 5, the struggle is between the spirit and the flesh. First John chapter 2 we see the, the allure of the world. We don't love the world, but, but the world is still a pull. <clears throat> Hebrews chapter 3. We see that sin, even for the believer, can have a hardening effect on the heart. It can have a, a, um, a, a deceitfulness even still there on the believer. Sin makes us think that we're in control. And if it gets a... a, a an opportunity, it will master us again. It will try to master us. That's, that's, the, that's what we see in Scripture. Now, that's a brief theology of sin. And the result of what we see in Scripture is, is that all men are born in sin. Born sinners. We're estranged from God. We're lost. We're helpless. We're dead in our trespasses and sin. We walk according to the course of this world. Satan is leading us along because we're, we're in perfect lockstep with our own flesh. And therein lies the danger. And the bad news is, is that God can call us into account at any moment because we are his creation. And he can, he can call us into account, into his presence to, to give an account of our actions before him at any time. Now... Let's go back to our passage. Because what we see in this chapter, actually, it started in verse chapter 17, 18, and 19. Now we're seeing the conclusion of this. The story started with God coming to visit Abraham. And God had, he was in the form of a man. He had two men with him, angels, that we'll, we'll see in this passage here. Um, and that he came to visit Abraham on his way to visit the cities of Sodom and Gomorrah. Because he wanted to verify the, the corruption in that city. Because it was, it was calling out to his holiness that there needs to be vengeance here. That he needs to take action here. And Abraham has an opportunity then to plead with God. And we looked at this last week. That he pleaded with God. And he reduced the number down from 50 all the way to, to 10. If you find 10 righteous people, will you destroy the city? And Christ, or God says, no, I won't destroy the city. And so it's a wonderful thing that, that Abraham was able to plead with God. 
But there wasn't even there wasn't even ten in the city. So it turned really it turned into a rescue mission with Lot and his family. But again, I think what you'll see if you look at this passage, you'll see the grip that sin has on these people as well as Lot and his family. That's what I want you to just notice. Sin is much more, and this is the principle, sin is much more enslaving than we recognize and is not to be played with, folks. Let me read that again. You can see it on the screen. Sin is not, sin is much more enslaving than we recognize and is not to be played with. And folks, if we, if it wasn't for the grace of God, we would die in our sins and we would go to hell. The question then is, how strong is the grip of sin um, on the sinner? And there's the flow of this passage is uh, broken down into six little scenes. Okay, It's like a, a, a movie. You would move from this scene to this scene to this scene. Well, there's six uh, scenes in this. We're only going to look at two of these today. And the first one is Lot's Hospitality. I just want you to notice this. Lot's hospitality in verse 1. Then the two angels came to Sodom in the evening. Now notice the time frame here as Lot was sitting at the gate. Now what was happening there, Lot was <clears throat> Lot was at the gate of the city as as a judge. And if you, uh, there, would, there would be the, the men of prestige in the city would be, uh, there at the city gates and people that would have a uh, a question or uh, need some uh, litigation or some help. They would come and they would uh, they would they would ask these elders of the city. And Lot was one of those elders. You say, how in the world did Lot get to that place? I want you to see the the downward spiral that Lot has. And you'll see that back in verse chapter 13. And remember, Abraham and Lot, the Lord had blessed them. They had both become wealthy and they had to separate. And one went this way, the other went this way. And it was agreed upon by Abraham. But notice Lot's thinking. We get a little bit of Lot's thinking. In chapter 13 and verse 10, then Lot lifted up his eyes. Now we see that's the first of the progress here. He lifted up his his eyes and saw... The valley of the Jordan. So he's looking down over into this valley. That it was well watered everywhere. And this was, he says, this was before Yahweh destroyed Sodom and Gomorrah. Like the garden of Yahweh um, in the land of Egypt as you go to Zor. It's a beautiful land. And it was an attraction there to Lot. There was a, a a pool there. And a lure. And it might have just been pragmatics. Um, but there was something there that drew him toward that place. Something within himself. And then verse 11 we see. So Lot chose. So he saw. He looks down. He sees. Hey, this is pretty nice. I like this. There's some appeal to the flesh there. And then he, so he chose. He chose for himself all of the valley of the Jordan. And Lot journeyed eastward. And then the very next verse. So he chose. He saw. And then he chose. And then verse 12. He says Abraham lived in the land of Canaan. Lot lived in the city 
of the valleys, and he moved his tent, or he pitched his tent as far as Sodom. So, so it wasn't just, well, I'll stay on this edge of the valley. No, he, he pitched his tent to close to Sodom as he could. Do you see the pool? Do you see the, the allure? You see the, the gravity that's being, being drawn there? Now, why is he doing this? I don't know. But by the time you get to chapter 14 and verse 12, uh, it says, They also took Lot. This is when the kings came and captured the city. Abraham had to go and rescue his nephew Lot. It says, and uh, Abraham's nephew and his possessions uh, departed. Now he was living in Sodom. So he wasn't pitching his tent on the outwards part of Sodom anymore. Now he's living in Sodom. And by the time you get to chapter 19, he is a judge in Sodom. He is, he is one of those who were at the city gates. They would bring their problems to he was a judge. He was a prominent figure in Sodom. Now, how in the world is a righteous person like, like uh, Lot live in, in this place? Because he doesn't belong here. It's, it's evident. When you look at this passage, you just keep asking that, that question. Why are you here a lot? He doesn't belong. He's, he's just obviously out of place. But he has an opportunity here in verse 1. Let's go back to our passage. He says, The two men came to Sodom in the evening as Lot was sitting in the gate um, of Sodom. Lot saw them and rose to meet them and bowed down with his face to the ground. Just showing respect in that culture. That's what you would have done. Uh, showing respect to his guests here. And he said... Now behold, my lords, please turn aside into your servant's house. Come to my house and spend the night and wash your feet. Then you may rise early and go on your way. There's an urgency here and there's a speediness here. Let's get you in the city and out of this city. It just seems to be that way. They said, no, we'll, we shall spend the night in the square. That would have been the town square. Just like many towns. I know, we'll just stay out here. Yet he pressed them strongly. No, you, you can't do that. Pressed them strongly. So they turned aside to him and entered his house. And he made them a feast with uh, a feast for them. Uh, baked unleavened bread and they ate. So just just a few hours earlier, these men were with Abraham. And now the evening, uh, Lot has an opportunity to be host to these, these same men. These are angels. Now, this act of playing host really indicates Lot was a righteous man. And I believe he was. The indication in the Old Testament that he was a righteous man. And this act of... of, uh, of uh, hospitality is an indication of that, just like Abraham. But the emphasis upon this uh, hospitality, as opposed to Abraham's hospitality, is this was the emphasis here is on what? Their safety. There's something not right here. There's something amiss here. And these two guests of Lot need to be kept safe. 
And he had this opportunity. They say, oh, we'll just stay in this town square. He presses them. There's an urgency there. There's a danger here. He needed to protect them. Now, that's what would have happened in, um, in this in this time frame, the, the culture was is when someone come into your house, you protected them. Now, a lot was a righteous man. I, I believe that he was a righteous man, even even if he was in an unrighteous city. I think he was a righteous man, but he knew the sinfulness of this town. He, he knew the sin. He knew the, the routine, the way of life. Every city has a they call it a, the rhythm of a city. When you live in a city, if you live in a city, you'll you'll sense that 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 cities have a a, a, a rhythm, just a, a way of uh, that that everything is is conducted. So a way of life, and the emphasis of this city is its nightlife. That that's when everything happens. That's what everything takes place, and this city is a dangerous place at night. It should not be, but it is a dangerous place at night. We, we, we might compare it, we keep, in, we keep hearing reports of Chicago, the killings in Chicago, the drug uh, use in Chicago, the burglaries that's happened, the drunkenness, the prostitution in, in that city. And we may compare it to this. But what we see here is Lot wants to get them out of the public eye as quickly as possible. Let's get into the house and let's get you out of this situation. This is a, a rescue mission seen, as seen by Lot. Now, I want you to just notice that pattern, though. There's a, there's a pattern here. Every night, he knows what's going to happen. Tonight, it, it, this is not a good place for visitors in the town square. Now, that tells us a little bit about sin. Man's sin it, it is driven by the flesh. Flesh. And the, it's, there's a drive there. The, the, uh, it's enhanced at night, and, and that's when they, they come out. And maybe under the cover of darkness. But there's a, a routine, a, a ritual, and, and Lot knows this ritual. There's a pattern here. There's a habit here. That's what sin develops in a, a person's life. You need to just recognize that. You need to be able to identify that in your own life. What, what kind of habits, what kind of patterns do you have there? I had a seminary professor. The, uh, he was the one that taught all of the counseling classes. And that's what he, be, he was beginning to see. Just the patterns of sin. So much so that he would compare it or, or make it similar to, to worship. It, it was ritual. It was routine. And every religion has its routine or its ritual of, of worship. And people worship what they value, don't they? What they love. What they, they find comfort in or what they, they elevate. They put thought into it. They put planning into it. They arrange. They arrange their schedule. They, they develop habits whether it's daily habits, weekly habits, monthly habits, and you see patterns that turn into a lifestyle. Okay? Keep that in mind. That's what sin does. Sin drives us. It demands this constant attention, almost like worship. It demands this worship. Now, folks, 
the problem is, especially with believers, many times we, we think that it's just part of our daily routine and, it, and it's not so dangerous maybe because it's, it's just routine. It's just what we do. It's just, a, it's just part, of the, part of the landscape of living here. This is the daily routine, the weekly routine, the monthly rhythm, routine. This is what they do in this city. And you just kind of get used to it. Um, and then it sin then produces this illusion that you can control it. But sin is not to be controlled. It, it, it has its grip on you. It will lock you in. It will pull you in. And, and anyone that, that knows, every, every one of us knows, there's patterns. There's patterns of thinking that are sinful. And, and when, whenever a certain, certain, certain circumstance happens, that, that pattern just kicks in. There's, there's certain words. There's certain times that we're angry. Pornography, lying, gossip. There's certain people that we're around that, that kind of bring these things to, to mind, that, and that bring back these patterns. And we try to break those patterns as Christians. But I just notice the patterns and the worshipfulness of sin. It demands attention. It demands attention. And that's what's happening here. Lot sees it. This is a, a catastrophe ready to happen. Lot has to take action here. And so next, number two, so we see Lot's uh, hospitality is a rescue from this wicked city. Number two, Lot's sin, uh, I'm sorry, Sodom's sin. And this is a verification of the wickedness of the city. Look at verse four. Before they lay down, this is the men of, men of the city, the men of Sodom, surrounded the house from young to old, all the people from every quarter. And they called to Lot and said to him, let's just stop right there. This sounds like an exaggeration. It might be a little bit of exaggeration. He says, all the people, young to old, the emphasis upon, it was comprehensive. Now, now we know that Lot's sons-in-laws, because he goes to his sons-in-laws, they they were exempt from this. So we know it's a little bit of an exaggeration, but the point is, is that every person was affected by this. And, and the, that every person that was destroyed in this city were wicked people. That's, that's what is... This is a mob. This is a mob that comes to his house, surrounds the house, and they have a request. In verse 5, they say, They came to Lot and said, Where are the men who came to you tonight? Bring them out that we may know them. It's not... Just come out, let's shake their hand, get to know them in a friendly kind of way. No, this is not that kind of no. Every adult in this room knows that. This is the kind of no, this is the, in the biblical sense. How, uh, Genesis chapter 4 verse 1, that Adam knew his wife, knew his wife. And as a result of that knowing, they had a, a son of Cain and Abel. This is a, a nondescript way to talk about a very intimate thing. A sexual relationship between, between two people. Very intimate act. Things that should be kept private. And, and so the Bible term is just to know. And we, we understand what they, they want here. 
This is not just a, a friendly little chat. We want to know them. Now, this is this is even a perversion of that because this is talking about homosexuality. This is men with men. This is a perversion. This is sodomy. That would be the term that we would call it today. Now, I just want to stop here because I want you to think. Some people think, some people are arguing today that the sin of Sodom is a lack of hospitality. It's not homosexuality. No, it's just a lack of hospitality. These, these cities just, just was not very hospitable. In fact, they were violent. And so uh, that's the sin of Sodom. But that's not true at all. This is clear. There's, the, the Bible is not unclear here. The sin of Sodom is clearly homosexuality. And that's what was demanded here. That's what was the request was. And we know that throughout Scripture, homosexuality is, is condemned by God. It is, it is wrong. Now, in this world today of confusion and softening on this whole idea of homosexuality... Because it, it's a, a loving act, consensual sexual relationship between two people who love each other. How could God be against that? God is very clear that homosexuality is to be condemned. I want you to see this. These, uh, there's a number of verses. Um, Leviticus chapter, Leviticus chapter 18 and verse 22. We want to go through this as quickly as we can, but I want you to see it's important that we understand God's terminology here and the way uh, we see God's view of this. Chapter 18, verse 22, he says, And you shall not lie with a male as one lies with a female. It is an abomination. There's no confusion there, folks. No confusion. The Bible is very clear. You skip down to verse 22 in that same passage. For whoever does any of these abominations, those should be cut off from among their people. Not to be tolerated. We see over to chapter 20 in the same book, Leviticus chapter 20, verse 13. If there is a man who lies with a male as those who lie with a female, both of them have condemned committed an abomination, and they shall be put to death. The death penalty. That's pretty serious. I mean, this is a loving act. Why would God do this? I mean, this is, this is nobody's violated here. Everybody, this is a, a good thing. How can God be against this? Well, He is. And do not be confused. Even in the New Testament, the New Testament, Paul brings this to our attention in Romans chapter 1, verse 2. 26 and 27. Let me just remind you, for this reason, God gave them over to de- dishonorable passions. And that's what it is. The perversion, a dishonorable passion for their females exchanged a natural function for that which was unnatural. And in the same way, also, the male abandoned the natural function of the female and burned in their desire toward one another, male with male, committing indecent acts and receiving in their own person the due penalty. There's, the Bible's not un, unclear here. The Bible is not confusing. 
This is very clear. And we have a, we have a day, we live in a day where Christians are being called to soften their stance, to, to see this as okay, to see this as acceptable. Even in churches that we would, we would think that would, that would be solid churches are, are caving to this, that we need to take a, a softer stance on this. Now, I'm not for hatred and violence toward homosexuals or lesbian people. But folks, we've got to call sin what sin is. We've got to see things from God's perspective. And God says, this is an abomination. This is an abomination. And we're going to see this a little bit more later, but you can look at 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verse 9, uh, 1 Timothy chapter 1, verse 10. We cannot condone this sin. You say, well, isn't it just as much of a sin as adultery or any other sin? Yes, it is. It is. But for some reason, in God's mind, this is an abomination. This is the worst kinds of sin. Now, we'll again, we'll look at this a little bit uh, uh, next next time. Now, people don't like for us to talk like this today. If you put this sermon maybe on on YouTube or some place and they catch words that I'm saying here, they would they would remove it. But we have to call sin sin. And we have a lot of people in Christendom today that want to soften the stance on this. But the Bible is not unclear. The Bible is strong. God is strong against homosexuality. Let's go back to our passage and look at Lot's plea. So what does Lot do about this situation? In Genesis chapter 19 and verse 6. So Lot went out. He went out at the doorway and shut the door behind him. He's again protecting his guest here and said, Please, my brethren, do not act wickedly. He recognized the wickedness there. In fact, they'll recognize it in just a minute. We'll see that. But he recognized this is this is wicked. He calls them brethren. Probably just to to kind of placate them, just to kind of put them at ease. But he he appeals to them as a a shelter. These people have come in and sought shelter to me within my house. And then he does something that's just unbelievable in verse 8. Now behold, I have two daughters who have not known a man. Please let me bring them out to you and do to them what is good in your eyes. Only do nothing to these men inasmuch as they have come under the shelter of my roof. Now, the, the context of the, uh, the culture of that day, he was to protect at all costs the, his guests. But to do this? But, but to offer the, the two daughters that he has? He's, he's not thinking correctly. But, but maybe he's thinking that the rape of his two daughters essentially would be better than the homosexual act that these men were trying to portray. They were trying to uh, force on these men. This is shocking. It should be shocking to believers. This is, this is cowardice on Lot's part. This is a lack of faith. Or maybe he just threw it out there to, to bluff. Maybe he's just bluffing. And he expects them to reject. He expects them to say no. He knows what's going to happen. But this is still foolish. This is a, a lack of faith on, on Lot's part. This is, I think he just had grown accustomed to this. And his, his thinking has, uh, has 
uh, grown accustomed to this way of life. Now, I, I want to give you some insight. And we'll, we'll close with this in just a second. In Second Peter chapter 2, we see Paul's, or uh, Lot's mindset. Notice, Second Peter chapter 2 and verse 6, he says, If, and if he condemned the cities of Sodom and Gomorrah in the destruction by reducing them to ashes, verse 7, and if he rescued righteous, righteous Lot, okay, so righteous Lot, Lot was in this situation, he was able to rescue righteous Lot. This is God's ability to do this, extract Lot. Oppressed by the sensual conduct of unprincipled men. And this is what they were doing. This is pragmatic. We want what we want. These are unprincipled men. And it, here's the mindset. For by what he saw. So this is a lot. He saw and he heard that righteous man. While living among them. Felt his righteous soul tormented day after day by their lawless deeds. He was tormented. He was he was pulled. He, he was perplexed. He was vexed in his in his spirit. He, and it causes ethical dilemmas. What do I do in this situation? Oh, I'll hand them my daughters. Why was Lot even in this city? Why was he in this city? Did he see himself as a, a missionary? Did he see himself as uh, one that could make changes to this city, that could correct this city. Or maybe he married a wife from this city. Maybe he just likes the, the dependence, so he doesn't have to work as hard. He depend upon so many other people from within this city. Maybe it was, I mean, they just had a good school system. Maybe it was just a fun culture to be in. Oh, it's just a lot of fun. Maybe it's just loose morals, so there's not it's not as strict, and, and and you don't have those tight morals that maybe Abraham was putting on Lot, less restrictive, less judgment. Maybe they had more to ease the conscience there. It's a lively place, cool. This is the happening place. A lot did not belong here. The Bible doesn't say why he was here. The Bible doesn't give us that info, uh, that information. But it does indicate that his influence here was pretty weak. Pretty weak. And you see his, his faith had gone down. His morals had gone down. Um, a lot didn't belong in this situation. Let me pick up one last little element. And that's their demand in verse 9. They said, step aside. Moreover, or furthermore, this, this one came to sojourn and already is persistently acting like a judge. And that was what he was at the city. Now we will treat him wickedly as uh, wickedly uh, than, they, than them. He will, we will treat him wickedly than them, more wickedly than them. So they pressed him. So much so that the, the men inside the house had to reach out, grab his hand, and rescue Lot. Now, he's trying to save them, and they actually have to save him. And, and, and this, this request has turned into a demand because, because of the, 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 the drive of their sexual desires here. And the angels had to step in because they were acting with force.
The angels then struck them with blindness, we see in verse 7. Let me just quickly, quickly apply this. Lot, earlier on, he calls them brothers, but he obviously did not belong here. This was, this was not a place for a believer. This is, this is a, these are people who were enslaved to sin. They have a drive that was uh, driven by the, the flesh. No restraints, no public shame, no uh, all public approval. This is oil and water. Oil and water can't mix. A believer does. It, it will never happen. It will never work in this situation. A lot doesn't belong. If he's going to be in this situation, he's better have stronger faith than he is than he has, because right now he doesn't have an influence. They don't. They don't really care at all what he has to say. He doesn't have the influence. Uh, so we, we have to be careful. We have to be careful. When we are being influenced by the world, then we need to stop and think. That should be a, a red light. That should be a siren. We are there to influence the world. Um, we are there to be salt and light to the world. We can't isolate ourselves from the world. We have to be in the world. Now, I understand that. We have to be in the world. But just like the boat in the water is a good thing. But water in the boat is not a good thing. You've heard me say that before. The, the Christian in the world, that's a good thing. But the world in the Christian is not a good thing. And you see Lot. You see the, the world is, is in Lot. He is in that. Now, we can't isolate ourselves from the world. But we can insulate ourselves. We can insulate our heart. With a, a strong faith, a much stronger faith than, than Lot had. But I, I think he was just self-deceived. I think he thought he was stronger than he was. Or this was not as bad of a situation as it, as it was. And he needed a wake-up call. He had to actually be rescued. There, there's one other thing. Just notice that, that these were free men. In fact, that was the way we would interpret this today. These were free people here. They were able to express themselves. But just the opposite. They were not free. But today we would see as no restraints. They were able to do whatever they wanted to do. They expressed their individuality. But they were enslaved by sin. They were driven by sin. By sinfulness. Sin must be restrained, folks. If we're going to live in a world, and we've got to think through this, if we're going to live in a world that's so sinful, it's becoming more and more sinful every day, then, folks, we have to work on ourselves. We have to work on the strength of our own faith. Let me read you a little bit further, and we'll close with this. Romans chapter 6, verse 4. This is what Paul would say. Therefore, Romans chapter 6, verse 4. Therefore, we were buried with him through the baptism into death. So that as Christ was raised from the dead through the glory of the Father, so we too might walk in newness of life. For if we, were, if we have become united with him in the likeness of his death, certainly we would be in the likeness of his resurrection, knowing this, that our old man was crucified with him in order that this body of sin may be done away with so that we will no longer be enslaved to sin. 
we need to recognize that we're, we're no longer slaves to sin. We do not have to obey it. He goes on down in verse 17. He says, but thanks be to God that though you were slaves to sin, you became you, you obeyed from the heart that pattern of teaching to which you were given. And having been freed from sin, you became slaves to righteousness. Now, folks, that's the position of the believer. We, we live among people, folks, that are enslaved to sin. They just are. We cannot be like that. We cannot be influenced by them. We have to be strong enough in our faith to be able to be salt, to be able to be light, to be able to be an influence in our society. And when we're not, we better pull back and there should be an alarm and saying, what are we doing wrong here? And I believe that many churches need to be examining themselves. We, we cannot cave to the world. We have to influence the world. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Father, we thank you for your word. Thank you, Lord, for how precious it is. I do pray that we would be people that would stand and examine our own hearts and know if we have enough faith, if we have enough strength, conviction to be able to stand, Lord. Then if not, then Lord, drive us to the Word of God so that we can stand, so that we can be stronger. Our faith can move from weakness to strength. Because it's what it's going to take to stand in this world, Lord. And I pray for us. I pray that as a church, that we'd be able to stand. Thank you for your faithfulness to us. Thank you for the freedom from sin. But Lord, help us to even avoid the influence of sin. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.